Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded live on Skype, October 13th, 2018. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. Well, we are doing a UK-friendly time. Mike Slater and I have both watched The Great British Train Show. We were just discussing it before going live. So, Mike Slater... As a non-Brit yes. watching the Great British Train Show, I mean, I I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was actually a really interesting way that the hobby can be presented. And it had a kind of uniquely British theme to it. In terms of the US, this isn't a kind of program that would be very... I mean, Channel 5 is, you know, it's not the BBC, it's not ITV, it's not Channel 4, but it's still a mainstream terrestrial television station in the UK talking about the hobby. Now, it is the hobby through a very particular lens, but, I mean, what's your reflection on the show and whether or not something similar could be shown in the U.S.? Well, I thought uh, doing the scratch-building challenge with a woman's shoe was probably going a little bit too far to the extreme Hmm. of uh, scratch-building something. Um, The uh, I would have to agree with the judges of disqualifying the one group for bringing in too many pre-built items and that. Yes. That was a very Uh, curious... I mean, that is probably something that's quintessentially British, right? You you give an authority, and then you reject the authority. I mean, I think, certainly in this country, that would never be done in a a show. They would be, you know, threatened with immediate disqualification and just have to deal with it. But the cockiness of that team and the way in which they just maintained, you know, screws on plywood... I mean, I think, certainly... Simon Hill, do we have audio for you yet? Testing Simon Hill, Simon Hill, Simon Hill. Hi, Tom, do you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. So Mike Slater and I, we've only seen the first episode because that's the first one that was pirated and put up on YouTube. But Mike Slater and I bl- both watched the Great British Train Show. What's it called? The Great Model Railway Challenge? Great British Model Railway Challenge? Anyway, it's a mouthful. Mike Slater yeah. and I both watched it. We both agree that it's kind of quintessentially British in a wide variety of ways. But my understanding is that your crew was actually approached to participate in this program? I think the club that Ken and Martin and Neil belong okay. to were. Oh, okay. um, I'm not actually part of that club, although because of our commitments, it wouldn't have been something <laughs> we'd been interested in. As, yeah. as you know, we're, we're rather swamped on lots of Believe different projects me. at the moment. Believe me. Yeah, I think it was interesting because, I mean, certainly I, I remember maybe on Facebook having a discussion with Martin associated with why you guys didn't participate, at least in the first season. But what I found fascinating was Kathy Malat, who is a Model Rail Radio alumna. I've spoken to Kathy. I met, actually, Kathy in Las Vegas, I think, as well. But she is very much of the school that actual, you know, model building, the, the craft and the hobby, the stuff that you guys, your, your collective crew, is really good at, seems to be what is most important for her associated with, you know, the, the qualities of the show. Now, you've, I'm assuming you've, you've watched the program, maybe even the second episode, which I think said recently, What's your feeling with regards to the show? Um, I watched the first one uh, and the second one today, actually. Um, I think the second show is better. Oh, okay. Uh, Good the, to know. The, the quality of modelling is a little bit more the sort of areas we, we concentrate in mm-hmm. most detail. Um, but obviously, it's time constraints that are very limited. I think it's, it's entertaining. I think that, that would be my response. Um, some bits I, I wouldn't really go along with mm. attract, attracting people because it doesn't really give a... a background to what railway modeling is all about no, that was something i found very curious i assumed that each team would give, be given an introduction which at least showed 
either their collective, you know, contributive club layout or some aspects of their own layout. I was quite taken aback almost, as you say, that the teams weren't actually introduced through their prior work. They were just introduced on the spot, so to speak. Yeah, I think you're right, because a lot of those people in the show are, are parts of clubs and various societies, and there's some very good modellers there, but sometimes it doesn't always come across that well with the show. But, yeah, entertaining. I'm sure the next episode will be good as well, and, I'm, and I think the layouts that they're going to do is at Worley this year. We're, we're at Worley as well, so it'll be interesting to see that. So now you've actually seen the show, I mean, could you act as a, a convincing force for Martin and Co. perhaps participating if there's a second season? I, I don't think we ever would because we're trying to do things. We're always trying to push the, the boundaries with what we do. And I don't think people in the sort of mainstream modelling world get that at times, mm. what we're trying to do. Um, the features we've got on some of the, the layouts at the moment are a little bit wacky. And it, it, I don't think they all get it. Um, I know one of the shows we're going to next weekend, they've, they've specified that drapes have got to be all around the layout, including the front. With a presentation of the present layout, it's got no drapes at the front because it's very industrial and it's mounted on an old um, computer stand, which is very, very industrial, very metal, lots of brackets. So it looks apart. Um, things like little touches like that. But I mean, some of the show I saw today, um, there's a Doctor Who element and they tried to put a lot of bits in there. And unfortunately, they were defeated by silly things going wrong, like points set wrong which if you're trying to do something that shows movement of trains, you've got to make sure points are set right. Detail is right. Uh, but one of the layouts that won it, I won't spoil it for anything okay. at the moment. Yes, no spoilers, is, no spoilers. Is, is, is very good. Um, yes. that, that They achieved a lot. Well, that's yeah, what I, I mean, felt about the first episode. I mean, I think the first episode, certainly it's interesting, actually, because my wife said there's, there's a bit of crying, right? Model railroaders are actually quite <laughs> emotional associated with And I said, look, you can't imagine what I've seen on Model Rail Radio associated with that. I mean, the audio cleanup and a wide variety of things. Although it's interesting, actually, because I think I would like, look, if I can make a pitch, maybe not to you, maybe to the rest of your crew, I think within the time constraints, given Kathy Millett's propensity to like the kind of stuff that you guys do, I think you could do amazing work, basically. And I think it's an interesting opportunity to showcase the breadth of the hobby in a very... I mean, it's like kosher cooking, right? You're removing 90% yeah. of the ingredients and trying to produce something edible out of it. It's an interesting format because I don't think the US would produce... I mean, Channel 5 is not the BBC, but it's still a terrestrial television channel in the UK. And I can't imagine anything like that being produced in the US. And I think certainly the sensitivity that has been shown to the hobby isn't, you know, isn't the best possible light but it's certainly far better than anything I would anticipate seeing in the US. So, I don't know. What What are your feelings with regards to it, Simon, before we move um, on to more important topics? <laughs> I think in the past, the BBC did some very specific programmes at mm, Railway definitely. Modelling. Yes. And they were very objective. Um, Channel 5 tends to push the boundaries. I mean, I don't know if you saw the programme last year about building a 16 mil model railway between the, the North Sea and the Irish Sea across the Great Glen using a 16 mil loco to drive across. That that was very good because it involved a lot of engineering. Mm. It wasn't always about the railway. It was about the, the people so, and what they do. Um, yeah, I think the balance on the new program is okay, but a little bit more background would have been very useful. And keeping it alive, I mean, some of the emotions, as you say, weeping on screen, I, think <laughs> I'd be, I would be extremely embarrassed and wouldn't want to be anywhere near anything yeah. like that. Well, <laughs> yes, but I've seen it all on Model Rail Radio, and believe me, the, the full extent of human emotions is often conveyed. Uh, yeah, it is an interesting, an interesting way of highlighting the hobby. But look, I, in general, 
I think it's at least an eight out of ten just having watched the first episode. Uh, and I think it was, I mean, it was the kind of thing my wife really enjoyed watching as well. I mean, my wife is more model rail sympathetic probably than most, uh, most strangers to the hobby, but she actually thought it was quite interesting. And in particular, because it's more about personal foibles than it is actually about model rail riding. It's associated with kind of ego and, you know, putting emphasis in certain areas. But yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to the next one that's pirated. Anyway, Simon, let's talk about more important things. Let's talk about more important things. Your crew has been moving in so many different directions. I wanted to start with your home layout. Right, yes. Which I was thoroughly impressed when I saw the Facebook photos posted associated with this thing. You've clearly been putting in a lot of work in getting this thing together. I was impressed with the... Well, I guess I remember I remember your workshop very tenderly. I still have the uh, little brass casting uh, at arm's length from me, from my time with you. You have done some pretty amazing, you know, work associated with getting this home layout up and running. For folks listening in who haven't seen the Facebook photos, can you describe where you are and just the kind of breadth of track that is now attached to this layout? Well, I actually started a layout um, April last year. So to get it running to the state it is now, I'm amazed. But there again, I've got plenty of time on my hands, so I mm. do tend to spend quite a lot of time down there. The workshop is 16 by 16 but the actual layout is a high-level shelf layout, effectively mm. running around two of the walls. So it's 16 by 10 with an offshoot, um, and it is quite high, which is specifically what I wanted because yes. of the machinery. Um, to get where I am today took a lot of thought and a lot of feedback from the crew because it's not just for me, and I wanted their input into it. Um, the two test runs we've had so far have given me a lot of feedback, and Travis, when we do feedback, we don't just say, okay, you go and get on with it. We tend to have a discussion <laughs> and, and then debate how we're going to do of it. Of course. And, which is good fun. Yes, um, no question. And, and the run we had last Wednesday, introducing a very rudimentary car system for the locos, mm. wagons, and the trains, just to get the feel of how to work it. I mean, familiarisation was the issue initially because Ken and Martin have forgot where the various areas were within the Certainly. layout. Um, then understanding my writing on the cards because they're just hand-scribbled <laughs> and sticking a few cards um, numbers on the wagon to get the view of that but after a while we got into the run of it and martin was amazed how long it took just yeah. to deal with one one train you know Certainly. you're looking at 40 50 minutes yeah but, but for a fairly small layout it's quite good in my view but the bonus we've got is because the layout is between two parts of the shed you can't actually see each other yeah so it can be a long distance away. Can we talk a little bit about this? Because, I mean, I'm, I appreciate Model Rail Radio is an audio format, and I've seen the photos. You've obviously posted the photos. You're intimately familiar with the layout. In terms of just distances and spaces and these kind of things, can you describe, because I was amazed by, the, as you say, by the complexity of the layout in the space. It's not a huge space, but you've utilised it very well. Can you talk a little bit about just the distances and the kinds of things that are in the layout for folks that may not have seen the photos? Um, starting in the main fiddle yard to get to the reception area of the cement works, you're looking at a run of probably 40 foot mm. uh, because that's something that fiddle yard's on a low level and it's on a raising gradient to get to the cement works. Then above the cement works is a discharge and there's another quarry and it's a zigzag back which is probably another 15, 20 foot of run. Then there's a branch line, which is another 20 foot run. So it's a lot of track in a small area, but it's not cramped because, as I just said, it's divided between two parts of the shed. And I think that's where Martin 
and Ken found it interesting because they were running one side uh, and Neil and myself were running the other. So it's a passing cards between us. But one thing we did find we needed was we needed a CCT coverage mm. either side because some of the areas where you're doing a move, you can't actually see where the move is. Yes, there's track detection, but it's not on the wagon, so Certainly. you don't know whether you're clear of points and obstructions. So that's the area I'm looking at now. Putting the buildings on it has changed the dynamics of it completely because just a flat baseboard is fine. But once yeah. you start putting a massive building, it's given a lot of depth to it. Certainly. Um, and it's got to be big. The buildings and cement works and that sort of industry are big. So that's that's the next stage to look at how to actually construct them. Because I built it on my own and each board is roughly four foot by yeah. 18 inches. They can't be too heavy because they're five foot off the ground and I've got to lift them off. Certainly. As you know, they're all above my machinery. So, yeah. one, I don't want to damage the machinery. And two, I don't <laughs> want to damage the layout. Yes. Um, so, there is, a, there is a sequence to dismantling it. And, unfortunately, if certain parts go wrong on one baseboard, it means multiple baseboards have to be dropped. All the wiring has to be dropped. Um, but that, that's, that's part of the problem. I mean, there is duck-unders, unfortunately, because I can't get clear access to anything. But yes. that's the only way I could build the layout, by having the duck-unders, which isn't a problem. It gives me a lot of, um, a lot of scope for the future. Um, and there is a, a fault that there could be a small exhibition layout that could be tagged onto mm, it. Interesting. Um, Martin will talk, talk about this area as well with the yard layout we've done because we've got a standard format framing that the layout sits on. Mm. Um, and this layout can then encompass that framing. Certainly. But that, that, that's the way off. I've got um, quite a few things to look at now with the layout. It's automate, automating certain areas. Mm-hmm. The uh, loading of the wagons is from an ore bin and a discharge area. So looking at ideas of that can has put his mind to that. We've got a few ideas how we can load. And actually, the material I'm using is cat litter, the white cat mm. litter, because it's, it's fairly light, but it I flows. I about this. But this, look, this doesn't seem like a material that you and your crew would use. Is this, is this like, I mean, cat litter in the US is the bane of my existence. We didn't have cats in the UK, but we certainly do in the US. Is this a material that is really suited to model railroading? It's pure white. It's okay. very light. Okay. And in its um, chunk form, it's not too dusty. Once you sieve out all the dust, uh. it, it runs easy. In fact, <laughs> there was a few comments when they arrived because I'd left these panels of cat litter around. <laughs> and Martin was saying, is that in case we get caught short? And I went, no, that's for the wagons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Martin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's a very practical man, Martin. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Um, but that's an element I need to build into getting those working before I build too much of the buildings around them. Mm. Uh, the loading from an orbin is quite easy because it's just a couple of surveys to open the chute. The discharge is to actually tip the wagon. Um, I'm using the Backman ore tippers. So it's going to be a multi-servo element to actually tip it because it needs one to hold the wagon in situ and two yeah. to tip it. Yeah. But unfortunately, all these wagons are sort of mass assembled, so they don't actually tip that easy. So I took one apart, redone all the pins and they do work very easily. But I've got 48 of these to do. I've done one. It took about two hours. <laughs> you'll get faster. You'll, by, the, by the 48th, you'll well, get faster, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Uh, so that, that's the next thing to do. Mm. Uh, and in the meantime, I've got two more control panels to build. That was another area where the feedback was good for the control panels because yes. I built it how I thought I'd run it. Of course, when Ken and Martin arrived, oh, we could do with this panel over there, and that one could, that one could move up there. <laughs> But it, it's it's not a problem because Certainly. the panels are all on SCART plugs, so it's just a, a case of making up an extension lead for them, mm. and they can be anywhere. There was a fault initially to run it all on JMRI, but one of the things is I didn't want to get 
that all up and running to just go and run a few trains. Whereas yeah. I'm just going to switch a power on and yeah. run with the control panels. Cool. But when we're doing sort of operation sessions, yes, there will be GMR running and I'll be the dispatcher and they, they will be doing whatever work they're, they're allocated. Mm. But we spent uh, six hours and we ran six trains and two trips on a branch. So, okay. yeah, that's good. It's interesting designing a layout with complexity in mind. And I think even in a small space, certainly what I saw seems to indicate that you had it, probably in the back of your mind the notion that this would be a layout that would be interesting for your crew, right? Absolutely. I've been multiple exhibition layouts, which are okay, but you're only using them for a couple of weekends a year and you're probably only running it for 12 hours over the two days of the show. Whereas the layout I wanted in my workshop was completely alien to what I've done mm. before. Doing ON30 American was yes. completely alien to me. As you know, what I did prior to doing this is high intensity so, detail work. Yeah, yeah. But it's about running a train. So, and having the the fun of doing a session to get people over, not just running trains around in a circle, which seems to be the bane of a lot of people's layouts <laughs> in this country, which doesn't interest me anymore. Yeah, no, it, I understand. You don't need to justify it. <laughs> no, that's right. So, this gives a lot, an awful lot of interest. And of course, this. This is my lifelong layout. I, there's no hurry to finish it. I've got enough other projects going on around this layout as yes. well. That we, we, yes, we're building exhibition still, layouts. Look, I mean, hats off to you. You still did it at a great degree of speed and poise. I mean, I was thoroughly impressed. I must have been at your place two years and maybe, yeah. I mean, so I have a sense of how it was. But yeah. from when you started, you've still done it at a reasonable clip. So I wouldn't say that, you know, it was well, clear it's been from... Like a job to me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, a little bit of news, which I probably shouldn't announce on Model Rail Radio, but I am anyway. I'm going to be in the UK in February. I'm spending two days in London, but relatively lightly packed. So if there's Ooh. an opportunity for me to pop down and just say hello and check out the layout for an hour, have a cup of tea, shake a few hands and then head back to London. I'd really look forward to doing that in February because certainly uh, I love meeting listeners, but your crew in particular was just so warm and welcoming to me when I uh, last was in the UK. So it would seem rude of me not to come down and at least say hello. Um, so I'll let you know the dates when I have the dates okay. confirmed. And for for the majority of UK listeners that want to meet me and these kind of things, it's going to be a very, very, very fast trip. I'm literally going right. to the UK to open a bank account to talk to bank folk about what it would take to move our Las Vegas property to a property in the UK so we can at least yep. solidly move in that direction. But um, So, yeah, mainly business, but I did want to catch up okay. with you guys and I did want to have the opportunity to see this amazing map that you've created. So. Well, you're very welcome, Tom, and um, you're not going to be allowed just to visit me. Martin's going to want to drag you down to his <laughs> to see the other two layouts we've got. Well, then it's going to have to be a slightly more formal thing, but I think because, I mean, is Martin still working full-time? Would that be an issue if I came on a weekday? No, he works from home, so ah, we, we, okay. So not, so not a problem. I mean, terrific. He's only twenty minutes away from me, and that's, yes, you know. I assume that was the case. Although well, I haven't actually seen yeah. his place, so wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Simon, so we have a new caller on the line. I would love to have the opportunity to chat more uh, with you and your crew. I'm assuming Martin just through him saying that he had created a list of notes will be calling in and giving a a much fuller breadth update associated with the other stuff that you guys have been working on, but. If we get to a chance, if we get to a time Martin hasn't called back in, I'd certainly love to wrap with you more about the extended stuff that you guys are doing. But I, I did want to have the opportunity to chat with Craig. So if you can hang okay. on the line, uh, I will get back to you uh, after I'm done chatting with Craig and hopefully Martin will call in and we can wrap about all the other stuff that your crew is doing because there's certainly 
a lot of additional stuff that you guys are working on currently. Anyway, I'll talk to you in a few minutes. Okay, Tom, thanks. I'd like to welcome on Craig Lennox, who pointed out that he is from North Glasgow. Now, we haven't had, I don't think we've ever had a Glaswegian caller. So, Craig, as you introduce yourself and your interest in the hobby, can you also talk about the kind of stuff associated with model railroading that is going on in Glasgow? Uh, good uh, afternoon from Glasgow, or just north of Glasgow, to Tom and everyone else. Um, the, um, the, I have just kind of in the last year got into uh, looking at model rail um, mm-hmm probably have been led in through more the electronic side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, having visited a show in Perth, I came across the Merg um, crew from the west of Scotland mm. and was very impressed with uh, all the different uh, lectures and teaching and modules and pocket money kits that they were doing, which re-sparked my interest in all the electronics I was doing when I was a uh, but a bairn mm-hmm. and um, decided to join up and I've just joined up for the second year just now and it's a very very active group um, meets probably four or five times a year but um, uh, in between that there's lots of um, clinics I think you call them Certainly. Uh, from <laughs> things on um, everything from programming pick chips to Arduinos and at the moment um I'm sitting in front of me with a, an Uno and a motor shield that goes over the top of that for um, doing uh, points and stuff like that. So I'm just getting all that together at the moment. Wonderful. And it, this is a, a local Merg kit. So, yeah, that's how I've got back in. Um, to go with all of this electronic stuff, I've just got a, a, a piece of shelf which I've painted up and I'm going to run a couple of different uh, tracks over that and some points, both in double O and in N-Gage, um, just to run trains, check that this is all working. I've got a Raspberry Pi uh, to go along with this to run DCC off uh, DCC++ and hope to be able to run it uh, independent of a... Uh, PC altogether, a laptop Certainly. altogether. Test this all works out in this shelf before going on to produce um, my uh, layout that I have in advanced planning. But we all know how our planning goes can go on forever <laughs> and ever. Yes. Uh, so that's a sort of brief intro on me and so where I'm at. But just you, new... you're returning to the hobby. Can you talk a little bit about how you found the hobby and also maybe with regards to the club, but the kind of stuff that's being modelled in Glasgow currently? There's quite a good show activity. The Probably the biggest show is the one held at the SECC Conference Centre in Glasgow mm-hmm. uh, in February, I think it is, every year. And I've probably sneakily gone along to that um, every year just as a sort of armchair modeler and uh, mm-hmm. managed to um, find myself up there. So just kept in touch. Oh, uh, and now I've got a little bit more time on my hands. I've decided to take things further, as I say, enticed back into it through the electronic side of things. Um, the modeling scene in Glasgow, um, there's a lot. The That uh, SEC See, conference uh, and show uh, has all the or the majority of the local modeling clubs attending mm-hmm. at it, and it's pretty healthy. Most of it, I would say, engage double O, but 
but also um, bringing in some H.O. American stuff. Um, there's a specific O uh, scale uh, show coming up in the south side of Glasgow coming up at the end of the month, I think. So there's activity at all levels, but looking at the rain battering down outside today, there's not much <laughs> garden railway. Sadly. 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 Interesting, interesting. So in terms of the local layouts, you mentioned that there's some US, but in terms of the UK stuff, you, what does what do Scottish trains look like? Is there narrow gauge in parts of Scotland? What kind of stuff are people modelling in Scotland? Um, if people are mostly modelling at fairly prototypical um, from all the diverse um, mm-hmm. geographical styles in, in Scotland from the sort of lowland areas where things are um, uh, flatter, flatter scenery, um, from the uh, inner city industrial side of things to um, those old puffers trying to climb up some of the highland hills as well. So there's the whole range is there. Um, narrow gauge side of things, there's... Um, Scotland had a lot of mineral works, mineral railways and small industrial railways. Um, very few of them, I believe, still remain. I stand corrected, but um, having scanned the uh, old OS maps, the Ordnance Survey maps mm. for the area here uh, from 1918 and even up to the most recent maps of nine, or the recent old maps of 1957, there's still evidence of, you know, Huge sections of of uh, uh, sort of narrow gauge stuff supplying Sweet. onto the main lines. So very diverse, I think, is the answer. Wonderful, wonderful. And in terms of your club specifically, do folks have home layouts, and what kind of home layouts do they have? Um, and like as I've listened to, I'm working my way through your podcast I'm now <laughs> at number thirty five. Very good. A bit like time travel for me because I'm still in 2011 Um, so um, uh, there's not much of a sort of basement type scene Mm -hmm. mostly people I think are looking for spare rooms or lofts or are limited with the kind of space that they have Um, but uh, listening with envy and some of the sizes of the layouts (laughs) when you're describing them in in scale miles um, uh, my own plans are for something very modest and then at uh, uh, seven and a half feet by two feet is, is where we're at. Of, you can still do a lot in in, in that space, though. I mean, in is very forgiving in those kind of spaces. So it, it should keep me satisfied and it may get finished. Yes. So what are you modelling specifically? Um, I have chosen prototypical somewhere near me uh, where I'm staying in a town called Kirkintilloch. Um, uh, which was an old industrial town, um, mm. had um, the a lot of ironworks and various other works there, mm. but one principal ironwork which is internationally known uh, called the Lion Works, um, and it produced um, pretty much most of the telephone boxes, the old-style British telephone, red telephone boxes, <laughs> um, but they also produced a lot of uh, cast iron for um, railings, uh, famous buildings, um, and stuff like that. So it became quite a vast uh, place. It sits um, at sort of one end of this, and right next to it there's an unusual bridge. Um, Over the top of the bridge runs the Forth and Clyde Canal. Mm. Uh, Next level down is the 
mainline track with two tracks coming into Kirkenkula Station and its goods area. And beneath that is, uh, as a, is a river. So that will probably be the main challenge in uh, trying to scratch build something like that. Interesting. I think I've actually seen that particular, I don't know what we would call it. I, I'd use the term steelworks, but that's a very American term associated with this thing. But I think I've seen it in a documentary associated with the Age of Steam. And it, it's it's been going on for 100 plus years, right? It's actually a very well-established business. It was, but unfortunately, in I think it didn't last much into the 90s. Uh, um, they managed to get some contracts with the uh, more modern yes, uh, uh, phone boxes, the ones without the individual panes. Yes. Um, but after then, I'm afraid, sadly, it uh, went way, the way of, oh, to be honest, most of the industry <laughs> until around Glasgow. Yes, yes. Interesting, interesting. So quite an interesting prototype to be modelling. And you said your interest is mainly in the electronics part currently. Do you have other folks in your crew that are, you know, particularly prevalent at scenery and these kind of things? Are you going to be borrowing heavily from other skills within your club? Um, the the Merg club that member of is purely about the electronic oh, side of things. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but we do uh, get days out to go and visit some of the other local clubs mm. and uh, in amongst uh, the lectures on the uh, microelectronic side of things, uh, we have lectures or clinics on everything from how to, well, lighting the mm. inside of your coaches, electronics yet again, mm. but things also uh, such as how to build your baseboard, track planning, and um, looking at various types of coupling systems. Wonderful, wonderful. It's interesting, actually, the notion of the specialist club. I think we're probably going to see that more and more as the hobby, you know, as, as people have really strong interest. And electronics is a, a very specific part of the hobby. I mean, it's certainly the computerization folk are very specific as well. But it's interesting. Well, there must be really a thriving community if you can have a club that's specifically devoted to electronics. That seems to indicate a very strong hobby in, in your part of the world. So fascinating to hear about this, Craig. Yes, um, and I'm not really the best expert to talk about the club. It has been running for many, many years. It has membership across the world, and I would just uh, encourage people to uh, use their favourite search engine and type M-E-R-G in, and they'll see lots of um, uh, useful uh, information there and an <laughs> excellent uh, free book available from the front page, uh, which you'll see on electronics for uh, model railways and a huge two-part thing. And it's uh, after years of school and physics and never really understanding it, uh, having one read at this by uh, 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 Davy Dick, who's mm -hmm. the head of the sort of uh, west of Glasgow or west of Scotland uh, branch of the organisation, he really makes it all sound very simple, and that is free for everybody to have a look at. Wonderful. So I would encourage your listeners. That's uh, merg.org.uk, and it's off the front page. You'll see free book available. Wonderful, wonderful free stuff has always appealed to model railroaders. I'm a testament to that with model railroaders. So very good, very good. Craig, thank you very much for calling in. It's really wonderful you, to hear about the hobby uh, from you know, different parts of the world. And certainly we've lacked Glaswegian content up until now. So thank you very much for calling in and providing our first piece of information. Please stay on the line. As more things come up, uh, feel free to jump in. But also, when we do these UK-friendly uh, calls, please call back in and give updates associated with your layout and your club. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.
as promised, Martin Coons has called in. He has generated a list of things that he would like to talk about today, not calling it a takeover. Martin, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You can take over the show whenever you want. I had a wonderful opportunity to chat with Simon Associated, firstly, with this TV show that has now been pirated on YouTube that we've been able to watch. You were one of the defining factors of not participating in this particular Channel 5 program. Now you've seen a couple of episodes, or maybe you haven't, but if you've seen one or two episodes, what are your feelings now? Do you think it was the right decision not to participate in this TV show? Uh, for me for me personally, yes. Uh, but uh, the, the show, I still think, is very good. Mm. Uh, but, but it's not something that I would be happy doing insofar as everything's uh, a compromise because mm, of the time, time yeah. with the time constraints, which is understandable. It's the only way you could do it. But for me, I I couldn't accept working uh, as compromises. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's uh, w- as a group, we, we push ourselves uh, and, and we always want to do sort of better each time and, and better than what we have done previously. So on that score, uh no it's it's not for me but all oh, hats off to it I, I i think they're doing a great job about it it's uh it is what it is uh and it's at least it's got uh, the hobby of model railways uh on tv uh, on mainstream tv in the uk uh the second program aired last night mm. uh i'm yes it would be nice to have a uh, little bit of in-depth detail but that, that's Certainly. limited otherwise you, you're going to lose your audience uh, the general audience but what i'm liking uh, a lot is the seeing the sci-fi guys getting involved and and mixing up trains with spaceships and mm. Doctor Who and Daleks and, yes. and bits and pieces. Uh, and I could see a sort of a, another genre of model railways of these sort of sci-fi based railways, Mad Maxi type things. So there is a post-apocalyptic uh, society that exists on Facebook for post-apocalyptic model railroads. And I was an early advocate for this part of the hobby because I think it goes together with a lot of the stuff that interests me just in, you know, wargaming and this kind of stuff. But also, yeah. you know, the zombie as a genre, the notion of zombie trains and all the possibilities that come with that. I mean, I think there are so many different possibilities here. So I'm looking forward to when the second episode is pirated, so the rest of us can actually watch it on YouTube uh, to get a sense of it. But let's talk more specifically associated with the amazing work that your crew is currently doing. I mean, let's start. Let's give a little bit of adulation to Simon with regards to his home layout, because I was thoroughly impressed by the photos on Facebook. This thing has been built very rapidly. Absolutely. Uh, and, well, the quality is is, mm. is terrific. Uh, you just cannot fault the running of it, the, the, the thinking behind it, mm. the operation. Uh, it, it's a joy to run, a real joy to run. Uh, it, it's, I mean, we... I think we probably said we was probably there five or six hours operating. Yes, when we had a session and wasn't we weren't bored. It was great. You still wanted to do more. I mean, it was your feet and your legs that gave up. (laughs) 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 Yeah, actually, that's one thing. What we need is some super high stalls that Mm. we could sit on. Uh, But but we we only touched on a very 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 small part of the operating potential uh, of the layout Uh, and. I mean, you, you could literally just lose yourself for hours just Certainly. operating one section. I was quite happy on the – I was working the Lower East Yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken was next to me. He was uh, operating the, the quarry line, mm. and there was interaction between us where our trains crossed at the mm-hmm. station point. Uh, if it wasn't for the holes in the wall, we would never have seen Simon or Neil in the other part of the, <laughs> part of the workshop. Yes. Uh, but but it, it's 
it's great fun. It's got massive potential for for gameplay, which I think is very important for for for, for, for us. For railway operating, gameplay is very important to, to keep the, the the interest going, uh, and, and there's there's a huge amount for that. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to the we get, we're giving him a list of sort of tweaks and observations <laughs> that you know he can either accept or reject as, yes. as thing goes on. But it's no different to the layouts we operate at exhibitions. Yes. We, we always when they're first time out, we think we know how we're going to operate them, and we think we've got the control panels right, but it's not. Till you've sort of sat there for one or two days operate an exhibition and, and it's like seven hour stint. You think, oh, this could be better. This could be sure. different. Um, we could do more. We could do less. This would be more convenient. So I suspect it will go through a, uh, a few uh, versions mm-hmm. and, until he gets it to the, the sort of the final one. But all the basics are there. I mean, the card system's getting there. Uh, yeah, I can see it being a, a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do. And uh, we really ought to make a video at some point. Most definitely. Of, uh, a few of the sequences yeah. because you can't tell from the photos how this blimmin' layout just wraps around <laughs> all over the show. Well, and, and yeah, it's interesting because I have an intimacy with the space. I was there two and a bit years ago. Mm-hmm. And when I saw what he had done with the space, I was particularly fascinated. But you're right, it requires a video to give a proper proper description of the space and the stuff that's going on. Yeah, because there's, there's so many elements uh, that are already there. And there's so many elements that he wants to have added, especially on the the, the, the working side of stuff. You know, we've uh, I I didn't hear Simon's element. So uh, did he touch on the sort of the uh, animated uh, elements that he's mm, he's looking to not introduce? So much. No, he talked about what's there currently, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the animated element. Yeah, well, I, I know it is. He's very into sort of he wants some tipping stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, no, some, he did talk a little about. That. He, he yeah. talked about that, yeah, yeah. yeah. and the, the crane type stuff, digger type stuff, etc., mm-hmm. and the lorries and stuff, which sort of integrates quite nicely uh, with some of the stuff that we've already got uh, on layouts like the yard. So uh, we can sort of multi-purpose items. Uh, I know he's he's building a duplicate gantry crane for his layout. Mm-hmm. Should be the same as the yard, so we've also got it as a backup. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, should the yard one fail, yes, <laughs> he'll have an identical one. Uh, have crane will travel, yes, yeah, yes. And, and it's and also it's it's handy to base it on because it's a proven concept, certainly, yeah, certainly. And I remember actually talking to I think you both associated with the crane in the yard and the kind of changes and stuff that you made associated with it. So yes, you've got to take that learning into something uh, wherever possible. So we've talked a little bit about Simon's layout. I'm going to touch on it just because it's a topic that I like to discuss. Have you yeah. done anything through the summer months associated with your garden layout? I have indeed. Uh, it's, uh, in fact, I started uh, doing stuff on the garden layout just as the little heat wave we had here started. <laughs> uh, and uh, it wasn't the best time to be digging holes and concreting, but hey-ho, the concrete went off pretty quick. Yes. Uh, and it was up, it was touching the 30s at some point. Yes, but, gosh. Uh, it's, uh, it, w- it was pleasant, but... Yeah, I I can't remember. I think I posted a, a, a rough schematic sketch on you Facebook did, yes. yeah. uh, of, of the, the the general plan, which is a five stage thing. Uh, effectively, stage one is done now, uh, which is if you can think of it as a forty one foot long triangle that's a foot wide at its peak mm. and three and a half feet wide at its base, mm-hmm. uh, and on that contains a station that has a, a passing loop and two platforms. All the platforms are in now. As you leave the station to go towards the garden, on your left will be the engine shed, which is the bit that hasn't been done yet because I'm still building the turntable. But I'll have a turntable mm. and uh, three or four uh, 
spurs off of it. So that's where we can do our uh, steaming up. Uh, and then as you carry on, the line goes into a, a double line section, which is effectively a long passing loop. And on the left is a, I can't remember now, four, three, three row good yard, I think Gosh. it is. Gosh. And he looked at it, this, you think I'd remember. <laughs> he walked past it about an hour ago. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, and then that goes off round, turns 90 degrees right past the greenhouse. And uh, that's as far as I've got. I've, I've got as far as uh, to the end of the greenhouse with the mm-hmm. uh, base uh, construction. Uh, so the track is all done on stage one. Ken turned up with some more roofing sheets so I mm. could get uh, some more of it done. Because uh, you've, you've seen the construction of Ken's. Yeah, absolutely. You, with of course, that yes. sort of, uh, roofing sheet used upside down. Yeah, uh, as, as the base, uh, which worked really well. And uh, it, actually, I, I couldn't get past the greenhouse because I'd run out of Dexion. <laughs> um, it was by chance on Facebook on the marketplace. There was a farmer up in Norfolk area mm. that was he was selling two hundred and seventy feet of Dexion uh, secondhand from his shelving for twenty five pounds. So uh, that was a, a buy. And it just so happened Ken was up in the area wow. uh, the following week on business. Yeah. So he picked it all up in his truck for me. Gosh. So uh, great crew you've got, got there. Two hundred and seventy feet of Dexion. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Which uh, enables us to extend the line quite nicely. Yeah, I've got all the, say, all the tracks down. It runs. We've run it a few times. The grandson's been over. Uh, we haven't run it with the steam engines yet, but we I stopped on that because we had to concentrate on the yard was our main thing mm. because we've got a, two shows. In fact, there's a, a show this weekend coming up. Gosh. Uh, and then there's another show the following weekend. The following weekend, one is the big uh, Expo Narragate show, which mm. is local to us. Uh, so it's in that as well. And it's the same weekend as the Breadgar Gala that we volunteer drive oh at. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so uh, it's a full-on <laughs> Narragate <laughs> weekend for us. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so do, do two of you man the layout and two of you do Breadgar and switch it up? I mean, how do you maintain that kind no, of uh, the, schedule? The, the, the show is only on the Saturday that weekend. Oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, so we'll all be there manning it. We also take a pop-up uh, banner mm-hmm. uh, uh, advertising the railway, and we have uh, leaflets to hand out, and uh, we sort of promote it. Uh, and then on the Sunday, we're down there. What's handy is, uh, because we're so close to the Channel Crossing, mm. uh, we get a lot of French, Dutch, German visitors Ooh, to that show. That's really and- interesting. And what's happened in previous years, because they've known about the Bredgar thing, instead of sort of going back on the Sunday, Sunday yes. morning to get a ferry, they now get the ferries sort of late afternoon, uh, early evening, because you've got to drive within four miles of Bredgar anyway, yeah. Yeah. on the way to the ferry. So they stop off halfway, have Wonderful. a day at the railway, uh, and then sort of go home. But it's... Uh, this year should be really good because we're hoping to have all nine of the steam engines uh, in steam. Gosh. So uh, they've, they've eight are done. Uh, the last one's just been put back together, which is Bronhilda, mm. uh, which is they're really keen to get going because that was the first ever steam engine they had on the railway. Wonderful. So they, they'd like to get that back going. And we'll have a, a brace of diesels to augment it. We're going to run uh, a cavalcade of all nine steam engines late morning. And we'll run another cavalcade, cavalcade uh, late afternoon. And what we do in between, God only knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stuff will be everywhere, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, poor old Ken's got to try and keep control of it all yes. and work out what goes where and when. So Interesting. He, he's certainly going to be busy. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, most definitely. But, yeah, so the, the concentration's been on to get the yard really certainly. up to the next level uh, that we want for exhibiting. So, uh 
that's that's what we've been doing as as far as that goes. Do you want me to talk about bits and pieces we've done, or, or, yeah. or have we got a, got a lot of people on? No, but, uh, no. Look, um, my view is it's luxury. I'm, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Uh-huh. I'm going to be in the UK first week in February, and I've already committed oh. to Simon that I'll head down to your part of the world. So he's already kind of invited me over to your place to have a look at your. Uh, your garden layout. So he kind of did that on the slide before you called in. So my anticipation is somewhere in early February. I, I actually have, it's two days that I'm going to be in London, but I don't have anything through the day and I'll just head down and see you folk. Oh, lovely. Smash in. Be great to see you. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Anyway, let's do the bits and pieces. Okay. I've got a, a list. <laughs> right. I'll start with the yard because that's what we're talking Certainly. about. Right. What we've done on that, the, the crane has, uh, been tweaked and adjusted. Mm. Simon has done some, uh, he's reworked the hook mm-hmm. uh, on the crane, so it's a, a much better hook. He's reworked the crates, the lifting system that Ken originally designed, and he's just tweaked it now. Uh, so he's got this sort of dummy hook uh, loop that's fitted into a crate that lifts slightly, and then it starts is, to grab the chains and brings them up. So it looks like it's actually pulling up on the chains, but it's actually pulling up on the loop. Mm. I've made uh, new loads uh, of crates which I've laser cut. And how many crates put, total? Uh, done seven at the moment. Oh, okay, good number. Uh, and effectively, there it's fourteen because I did the different signage on each side. Mm. So the idea being, they go in as parts and elements into the factory. When they come out, we've rotated them 180 degrees, and they're named as to where they're going. So it's uh, it's cut, cut down on that. But uh, I designed. Uh, a small, uh, what do you call it, a, a framework, effectively, uh, a, a sub-base for the loads. And around this, we can build anything we like for lifting. Uh, so Simon's uh, going to build some with machinery and pipe work and bits and pieces. So we're going to have a, a, some different types of loads over, over the, the coming months. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that had a, a bit of interest. We've been building, or, or say we, uh, Ken and Neil have been working on a new articulated lorry uh, for the for the railway. Uh, Ken's worked out a modular drive system. Hmm. Uh, we feel we can adapt to any wheelbase we want. Uh, and it, it'll automatically, uh, register and have all the geometry correct for mm-hmm. the steering, etc. Uh, Neil's already worked the electrics and got working brake lights, indicators, reversing Gosh, lights. Wonderful. You name it. It's, he's, he's got a, a board with it all laid out on. So he's, he's good to go with that. So we just need to do a, a a bit of development on the engineering and fine tuning side, uh, and then we should be able to pump out lorries like a little factory. Wonderful. Point. So uh, we're developing that. What else? Oh, the buildings have uh, been refinished. They look uh, beautiful from the photos I've seen. They just look absolutely oh, stunning. So yeah, thank you. They they will look better eventually, uh, but it's down to timing at the moment. Certainly. Uh, there, there'll be loads of pipe work and wiring and things that will eventually. You'll see them. They'll grow uh, with mm-hmm. stuff. Because we was in a rush at the last uh, exhibition, because we only had a three-month build period, there was a windows and doors that were missing, which we just put mm. acetate over with black behind. Yep, Most people certainly. never even noticed the fact. Yeah, uh, but I've now laser cut all of those. Wonderful. Uh, and I've, actually, I've been experimenting with uh, a plastic sheet called Trolays, which mm-hmm. is a laserable signage, uh, and cutting them out of that. And that's been working quite well. We've now cobbled it, which you've probably seen in the photos, because it used to be just a, a flat uh uh, smooth das, but that's now all the cobbles have been scribed in. Ken did that, and uh, I think he's had enough of scribing now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've all been painted, 
So that's all, all been coloured up. The crane has been uh, very weathered now, which mm. you probably see in the colouring changed a little bit. Uh, there's, there's still a hell of a lot more to do on that, but time that that will be developed again. But yep. the the bulk of it's been done, and, and the effect, the general effect, is there. So uh, we've also been looking at the leg system. Uh, I don't know. I I just put one up on Facebook that shows a section through the layout. Now mm-hmm. it's in bits. But that leg system we were talking about the other day, we've we've worked out Ken's going to build a little wheel unit that will bolt on the bottom of the leg mm-hmm. at one end. All the uh, rear vaccine support metal work unbolts and will fit in that uh, gully that goes along the top, that trough. Wonderful. Yeah. So it's all going there. Uh, and in fact, the banner vaccine uh, all rolls mm-hmm. up and will also fit in there. Gosh. And it means that we've oh, and we've worked out that if we turn the oh, we've extended the yard fascia uh, iron beam uh, that's that holds the lighting that hangs above the layout. We've extended that, but we've worked out if we flip it upside down, that can be uh, bungee strapped onto that same beam. Yes. Uh, so it's all all contained. And Ken's also welded some little tags, so the uprights now come off and they slot in some little tags. So the being is we can lift that one end of it and with the wheels treat it as a trolley. Mm. And it means everything for the layout is in there. Neil's made an electronics ball, which is bolted on the back now. So we have all the electrics for the controls, the lighting, the points, etc., is all there. But what it also did bring, which is quite interesting for us now, is having – well, we're, we're, none of us really want to build a huge layout for exhibitions anymore because it's a, it takes too long and it's too much to move around. This leg system we've designed, we've realized it, it's a, a system we can put any layout on it. And it just means we get a different background banner uh, and a different lighting fascia, mm. but we can put any small layout on it mm. because it's already got all the electrics. Certainly. It's already there and the lighting's already there. I know Simon's got plans for uh, a quarry element for his line mm-hmm. that will be able to be extracted from the workshop yeah. and we've got on this system. We've also, I've been talking with Ken about, you, you, you remember Ken's actual railway, don't you? The of course, two-foot. yeah. Yeah, most definitely. We are looking to... We, we did start doing it, but we're looking to make a, a, a proper model now of it in 16 mil. Wonderful. Showing the, the, the angle. But we're going to oh, concentrate yeah. on the, you know, the top station where the, this engine shed is, yes, section yeah, of the most stable. Definitely. Yeah. It's going to feature that bit and then the, the first sag down to the manure dump. Oh, uh, wonderful. And, and, I know and it that, well. And that will fit on this system, and it will mean we can have the layout from about two foot from the floor. Yes, Going yes. up at an angle just using this. Wonderful. And, uh, was he's working out the theory on a traverse a fiddle yard that works a little bit like a funicular railway. Mm. Uh, but we reckon on if we have two threaded bars, each one of a different thread, so example, an M8 uh, on one thread and an M10 on another, mm-hmm. if we power those, it should bring the, uh, the, the traverser down, but also angle it, ready mm-hmm. for the zap. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, no, it's definitely. So, so that's our theory on that. Uh, so that's, that's uh, I say theory strongly. Yes, certainly. <laughs> anyway, that's the, that's what we're thinking of this leg system. So that's uh, we're quite pleased with how that's working out. Wonderful. What else have we done with it? Oh, Neil's looking into sounds again because mm-hmm. we've got sounds on all of the locos now. So we're we're running it with one steam loco and two diesels, and they've mm-hmm. all now been fitted with uh, stay alive tsunami sound decoders, mm-hmm. uh, etc. So we get really nice slow running. Uh, in fact, I'm over to Simon's tomorrow to do the second diesel. Uh, we're going to plug it into J- JMRI mm-hmm. and uh, get the, the CVs tuned up. Uh, so, But we're thinking on the crane. We've got some ideas of sound for the crane. Mm. Uh, and 
we've done a bit of thinking out of the box on that, but uh, we shall reveal more of that once uh, we've done some developments. But we think it'll add that added extra of uh, true sounds of a crane moving as it it actually moves. That, I think, that's the yard, really. Mm -hmm. The open line we've covered. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, TV program you've done. <laughs> uh, oh, first Sunday in June. I wanted that to ask is, about that. Yes, that was my next question. That's, that's uh, again, that's been a bit on hold because mm-hmm. of the concentration without on the question. yard. Yeah, without question. Uh, but after within the next fortnight, we'll be back on to that, and uh, it's a track laying stage, uh, which is Simon's churning through. He's only got one thousand one hundred pandrol clips to solder on. <laughs> only so, yeah. I, yeah I don't number. know what. I don't know what's holding him up. He just needs to come with it. <laughs> so he's got a hell of, hell of a lot to do. He's he's done uh, one. Two, he's on the second board. In fact, I think he's approaching the third board now. He's uh, approaching where uh, he's getting to the points. There's the first lot of points, which I think are on board four from memory. Mm. And we can't do anything to the scenery uh, until the track uh, laying's done, because otherwise, it, it's the scenery's going to get in the way. But we will be working on the buildings. Mm. Uh, off, off scene and uh, trees. We're working on the trees. Wonderful. And, uh, I've I've drawn up the scale drawings of all the signals now. Uh, and Simon, I know, has ordered the brass and the various bits and pieces for those, which we'll pick up in two weeks from the, the show we're going to. So we'll be uh, producing the signals. So Neil will be looking at the motorising and the signals, oh. sound systems for the signals, and so forth. Uh, we'll also look into lighting mm-hmm. uh, and. Ah, the rotor yard. We need to kick that back into action. Ah, yes. There's there's stuff to do on the rotor yard. Uh, so yeah, I'd imagine uh, we should have some pretty serious reporting spring next year. In fact, actually, yeah, February you might actually see something. Let us hope. Interesting, which will be good. Let us hope. Yes. Well, actually, that gives us a target. <laughs> First <laughs> week in February. <laughs> yeah, we, we always work better with a target. Very good. So, uh, yeah, that would be interesting. So, yeah, that's that's where we are with uh, first Sunday in June. Uh, mm-hmm. And the stock is being thought about. We're working on ways of how the stock's going to be built. But uh, I suspect that will develop over the winter. Uh, that's a, a, an easy indoor one. Must uh, Theobald's Yard. Mm-hmm. That's, we've now made that 18 inches deeper. Mm. So we've got a much bigger operator's well. Wonderful. And so it's much more useful. So that layout's now 27 foot by 8 foot 6. And we're out with that in the second weekend in November. We've got a two-day show with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've now got two trailers, so the transporting of that's a bit easier. We can just put it in two trailers instead of a trailer and three cars, mm. uh, which is going to make life a bit easier. But it's a bit of a beast to lug around because it was built when we was all a lot younger. Certainly. Uh, and the balls weigh a ton. We just yeah. wouldn't build it like that now. But, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's all good fun. Yeah, uh, certainly. And, uh, we're getting that sorted out. Uh, what else have I got? Oh, Project SJ, as we call it, is a club double O layout we're working on. Mm, 30, yes. 12, that's a modern image, four-track mainline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've tested that now. All the tracks down, the third rail's on. We're starting the scenery. Uh, we're going to revise the servo mounts. Neil's uh, got a new servo mount design, which is tweaked. Mm. Which enables us to fit the servos underneath the baseboard nice and flat now that will still be within the one foot inch uh, depth still frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to be, they're going to replace. We had some uh, CNC milled uh, acrylic ones and they've not proved that great. Mm. Uh, so, but Neil's 3D printed ones are terrific. So uh, we're going to replace all those. What else have we done? Yeah. So we, we were due to have it at our club show in January this uh, next year. 
but we've now put that back a year because uh, you know it, it's, we want to exhibit it when it's right. Certainly. So that, that, that gives yeah. a bit more time. But I, I've put in a. I, we already want it sort of virtually finished by August. Mm. So we've got plenty of uh, operator training uh, on the layouts and how to operate it. And on that score, Phil, who, who does a lot of electrics on that, he's looking at automating two of the four tracks to the running lights. Wonderful. Uh, uh, and this is to enable, if we're short of operators, and also cover for lunch periods and stuff like that, uh, mm. when obviously we have to go off. Because the biggest problem we find, in, it's another reason why we don't want to do big layouts anymore, like uh, Fear Bulge Yard and Project SJ, we need a minimum of eight people. That's We've got insane. to go out on that. Yeah. Uh, and when you can't always get those eight people, yeah. it puts big pressure on uh, everybody else. Sure. And also, running of it, you, you can't run SJ with four people. No. You, you wouldn't get it. But if you could flick two of the lines into uh, computer control, which sure. you're, just, you're just running passenger trains, yeah. London, South passenger trains around, and then you can do the sort of the uh, interesting running on the other two lines. So that's that's the thinking behind that, and I think that, that, that could work quite well. So Smart thinking. Yeah. I'm interested to see what happens on that. Pretty and good. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, that's it in a in a nutshell. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, Martin. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Looking forward to seeing your crew in February. The weather, no good. doubt, is going to be splendid. So I'm looking forward to some splendid February UK weather. Um, yeah. But I'm yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you and your crew. And yeah, the garden layout. I hadn't anticipated you'd done so much work over the summer, but I probably should have guessed that you would yeah. get out there and do some stuff. So. Always a pleasure catching up. Look, we we have Neil on the line. I'm going to test his audio again. I know you covered a lot of stuff then. Neil, Martin, and to a lesser extent, Simon, have already gone through some of the bits and pieces that you're doing. After Martin's stellar update, is there anything that you'd like to add associated with some of the stuff that you're looking at currently? Well, to be honest, Tom, no, I think uh, Martin's just about <laughs> covered everything. Um, as he said, I'm sort of doing the behind-the-scenes stuff that mm. you don't normally see, but I can't really think of an awful lot to I, I mean, to just ask. in the signals, if we could talk about that just a little bit, because it's I'm not sure how many signals there are on uh, first Sunday in June, but it does strike me that the signals are a particularly interesting part of the hobby, and... In terms of automating them, in terms of getting brass signals, this kind of stuff, is this stuff that you've done previously? What kind of techniques are you using? I'm assuming you're not using servos, but what are you using to actually automate the signals, or what are you going to use? Well, the um, first Sunday in June layout mm -hmm. is um, we don't have any automation at all, apart okay. from the apart from the rotor yard. Mm. Um, it's um, all sort of prototypically operated um, and what we're going to do is we're putting we are putting servos underneath the signals okay. but, um, profiling the control to them so that you get realistic bounce um, and operation so that if you looked at the breadgar signals you'd actually sort of see a similar operation from the um, first Sunday in June mm. signals um, the points answered um, aren't, aren't, aren't as difficult um, and we're going to use uh, tortoise motors for those um, because they they really just slowly move from one position to the other. Interesting. Uh, but there are there are a total of um, trying to think now. I've got to do a count up. There's um, three or four. So there's four semaphore um, signals, um, and there's two ground signals um, that are going to be done. So. Um, that's how how they're going to be done. Mm -hmm. um, the rest of the, the rest of the layout is 
is again it's been designed so that the wiring at the back is all clipped together. Sure. So when we get to an exhibition, there's none of this having to <laughs> screw things together. Yes. We're, we're not allowed to have any nuts and bolts on the assembly of the of the layout. It's a it's a a written rule. And uh, anybody that mentions using a nut and bolt is thrown out the shed. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing Monty Python-esque you know, African swallow versus... I, I'm seeing that kind of animated flinging out of a shed. So, yeah, beautifully well, touched yeah, on that. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> so in, um, terms of, in terms of... It sounds like you already have a lot of... You've done a lot of this stuff previously associated with the signals. It's not something that really... Aside from, let's talk a little bit about programming the bounce. That sounds very interesting. How are you going to, how do you anticipate programming the bounce? Well, we're using, the the um, layout uses uh, Merg CBUS modules. Mm-hmm. Um, and the modules have the ability um, to program various levels of speed and bounce. Um, and it just takes time to to do each section and gradually add it up. And you end up with something which is, um, very close to the original. Mm. Uh, what, what I've actually got is I've actually taken videos of the breadcast signals being operated by the signalman, um, and I've put those alongside the actual um, operation, and they have to look the same, well, they, as near as I can possibly get them. Um, I'm hoping that if there's any minor changes, that uh, only the rivet counters will ever see that. <laughs> um, but the the, gen, the general thing is, if you just look at it as a whole, it will should look realistic. Mm, very good, very good. Well, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun now, so that's always important. Well, yes, we are. Yeah, there's a great deal of fun being had by all. I think. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you for calling. And I know coming after Martin, that's why I wanted to try and get you in early before Martin, because he covers a lot of your bases. But it's wonderful to have the opportunity to chat. And as I've said to. Uh, to Martin and Simon, I'm going to be in London for two days, but my daytime in London, I don't have anything planned for. So one of those two days, I'd love to come down and visit your part of the world. I'm not sure if you'd be connected with that visitation, but it would be nice to have an opportunity to meet as I didn't have the opportunity to meet you last time I was in your part of the world. So Yes, I I do hope so. I do hope so. Anyway, thank you for calling in. Thank you also to, to Martin and Simon for calling in. We've got a few interesting callers coming up, including Marty McCurk, so I want to get to them. But thank you all very much for calling in today. Wonderful catching up. I'd like to welcome back a gentleman who I had the opportunity of catching up with. I didn't have an opportunity to see his layout, but then again, he doesn't really seem to have a layout from our last discussion. But I did have the opportunity to catch up with him when I was in Washington, D.C. It was wonderful to see you, Marty. Even for a brief amount of time, it's always a pleasure catching up. Yeah, it was great to see you too, Tom. Uh, I I hoped you'd get over to Bernie's layout, and it was nice to see you there. And uh, I do have to say that I I do have a layout, at least I have a lot of wood in the basement that's (laughs) somewhat somewhat screwed together at this point uh but there's no track on it yet so i, I don't know when it becomes a layout is it mm. you know is it a little bit like you know what is a you know <laughs> when does something become a layout is it when yes. you put the first two pieces of wood together or run the first train mm. so i'm not, I'm not sure which it is but we're, we're getting there very good very good look the ability to see bernie's layout in in person 
was a real luxury, and it was something. It was one of the layouts. I mean, I've I've ticked off a few of those layouts recently. I've seen Dave Ramos and Craig Biscoe's layout as well when I was in New Jersey. So I've ticked off a couple more of the layouts, but Bernie was certainly one of the layouts that I had to see. I, the quality of modelling, the, the cleanliness. Like I've seen many many layouts, and particularly at the Oscar National. There was a lot of uh, limbered movement that had to go into kind of getting into certain areas on some layouts. So I've seen it all with Oscar now. But Bernie is just such an amazing modeler. I mean, you, uh, you, you're you no schlub yourself, but to have that kind of quality and that kind of vision within your local area is a real luxury, Mark. You shouldn't... It, it, it is. We had, well, we have some really talented modelers around here. And Bernie, I will say this much... Uh, and I, I hope he doesn't listen to this because we don't need his head getting any bigger. But the, the other neat, the other interesting observation about Bernie is not just that he's just a great modeler, is that he's so damn fast. Mm, yes. I mean, he puts things together and, you know, a week later you go down there and he's, he says, I'm starting a, a layout, HO layout based on Los Angeles in the, in the current era. Certainly. And you go, okay. And you go down there a month later and the thing is basically done. Yeah. He's got the graffiti yeah. up and everything looks legit. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it's just, yeah. So he's, uh, he's incredibly, uh, incredibly fast and, and very good at figuring out sort of the quickest way to get a quality result. So I'll give him that much credit. I have to, I certainly have to give him that much credit. And he's, he's very helpful to everybody around here. If anybody is working on a project and Bernie can help you, he'll help you out. So. Yes. Well, part of the trip was my wife as well. She had a wonderful time in DC. She was thoroughly disappointed with the lack of quilt shops, however. So I was trying to get her to contact your wife and, uh, do the full loop associated with what was available with local quilting. But no, it was a really nice chance to catch up with you and a wide variety of folk at the Oscar National. Did you check out it? I mean, you obviously probably know most of the layouts that were on the Oscar National layout tour. You weren't actually attending the conference. You just came to Bernie's open house. Right? I, just, I just went over to Bernie's that night to help him out. Um, yeah, I had some, we had something else going on that weekend and I honestly forgot what it was. It's yes. been so crazy the last three <laughs> months. But, uh, yeah, so I wasn't able to get to the, get to that. I did go to the uh, Minis regional convention last week, which Ooh. was in the same hotel as the Oscar National. Yeah. And uh, how, how and was that? It was, it was really good. Uh, I was the clinic chairman for that. I somehow got roped into being the clinic chairman and I, I purposely arranged the the timing of the clinics. Uh, I don't know if Terry's on the call or not, but I arranged. <laughs> I tried to get Terry Terrence's clinic on on Saturday morning because I knew I'd be able to get to it. Yes. And I, I purposely did that. So I went to his hands-on. He did a hands-on 3D printing clinic. That is an amazing clinic. That is an yeah, absolutely it was, amazing It clinic. was great. We had a great time. And, uh, and just the fact that, you know, I've, I've played with SketchUp and mm-hmm. I've played with 3D printing before. And, when I was at Intermountain, we did a lot of stuff with what at the time we called stereolithography, mm-hmm. which is a type of 3D printing. Yeah. Uh, but at that point, it was very expensive and very limited to you know industrial use. Uh, but just the chance to sit there and, and focus on doing SketchUp for like two hours straight without trying to do it 10 minutes here and there is really helpful. That's At least I find when I'm trying to learn some new software, that's the best way yeah. to do it. And, and it was Terry, it was really good. Yeah, Terry just teaches that clinic so well. I mean, I didn't have an opportunity actually to do the hands-on clinic. I went to his other clinic where he just educates you associated with this new... I mean, the bottom end of 3D printing is now very compatible with O-Scale. And actually, 
with a lot of the techniques he uses could be very compatible with HO in certain areas too. So it's interesting what's available now in relatively inexpensive. Uh, What I think is interesting is guys like uh, uh, Pierre Oliver, who mm -hmm. makes resin freight cars in HO scale, is not using handcrafted masters built out of styrene like or brass like most of these guys have over the years. He's actually 3D printing the master car that he uses to make the cast resin copies of. So it's uh, and it it looks pretty legit. I don't know what he has to do to it to finish the master when he gets it. Mm -hmm. I I have no detail. I assume there's something he has to do to clean it up or polish it or something. Mm -hmm. But um, it's they certainly look great to me, to my eye. They look really good. So, Mm. yeah, there's a there's a whole there's a whole world with that. And I I thought it was uh, the little printer he had was. uh, He bought it at Micro Center for, Mm -hmm. I, I think, between it and the spools of stuff. You know, the plastic, it was like less than 200 bucks. Certainly. Yeah, no, that was the pitch, and it was amazing to see the quality of stuff that's coming out at that entry level. I think it will change the hobby. I mean, I'm certainly, I've never been a skeptic associated with new technology in the hobby, but this is something that I think will really change the ability to do eclectic and eccentric lines that people had never, you wouldn't find, you know, aftermarket parts for. This gives an ability really to, and I'm thinking internationally, uh, I mean, certainly in Australia, the reason that there is such skill in the hobby is because everyone had to hand make absolutely everything for so many, so many years. But the 3D printing and the sharing of the 3D files and these kind of things creates a community, which I've already seen through Model Rail Radio. I mean, we already have people like Peter Stimple uh, and folks that were early purchasers of 3D printers then doing 3D prints for people. But yeah, now the price of the stuff is coming down, both in terms of the hardware and also in terms of the consumables. Is this something that you would consider purchasing, Marty? It's it's something I'm thinking about. It's the it's the one thing Bernie doesn't do right now. <laughs> uh, he has everything from, as you saw, he has yes. everything from a a spin caster to a laser cutter to everything else down there, a lathe and a milling machine and everything else. Uh, the one thing he doesn't have is a 3D printer. Mm. Uh, so I thought, well, and, and he, he's never really done a lot of uh, 3D drawing. Uh, so he says, I haven't had a chance to learn it. Of course, it'll, it'll take him 22 minutes to figure out SolidWorks or something. And he's but retired now, too. That's what's He's retired. So he actually has gotten less done since he's been retired. That's the dirty secret. <laughs> oh, he's gotten less done since he retired. Uh, so we still really haven't worked on the modules all that much mm-hmm. because he's doing other stuff. So we're, I have one of the modules. I have two of the modules at my house now, my module and his. And you saw, of course, the third module was sitting in his basement when you were there that day. And I'm pretty sure it's still sitting in the same place. Yeah, interesting, interesting. But he is converting the garage into a full workshop. Ooh. So that'll be a um, – so the, the, the Porsche is no more. The Porsche is gone. Oh, wow. And interesting. And it's, it's been replaced with an SUV. And that lives in the driveway. So the the garage will now become a a dedicated workshop. And I'm sure he will. I'm sure he has a space reserved for a 3D printer out there. Mm. I I can't imagine he doesn't. So it'll be interesting to to play with it. I I have some ideas for some things I want to try with it. Um, Nothing as elaborate as rolling stock. And, you know, I'm going to try to 3D print a passenger car. But uh, there's just... Uh, building details, structure details, I think would be good for, you know, unique corbels that you look at and go, God, I don't want to make 
5,200 of these or exactly. 500 of these or whatever. And, you know, I can do it this way as opposed to making a styrene master and casting a bunch of them, which just takes forever. You know, I can draw it up in, in SketchUp and get it 3D printed by Shapeways and, and it's adequate enough for that. I think it'll work for those kind of things. Um, I think when you start trying to get to rivets and seam lines and stuff in <laughs> HO scale, that's where it starts to Without fall apart a little. But, but yeah. still, I mean, for the for the rugged elements that you then add additional details to, lots oh, of yeah. possibilities. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's great for that. Actually, one of the things I was drawing, I think the first thing I'm going to draw and have printed has, is not a finished model part. It's a piece for uh, basically a, a bracket or a sleeve, I guess, that you would put inside the edge of the fascia to run the, the throw rods for the manual throw turn ass through and, mm. uh, and a knob to pull and push them because I can't find enough knobs that are the same size, that are size and shape that I want that don't stick out at, you know, into the aisle. I want mm. them to be recessed into the fascia. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try 3D printing those. So I've drawn them up. And uh, in talking to Terry last week, he's, I guess, the one, you know, shapeway or not shapeways, excuse me, but SketchUp's. Achilles heel is trying to draw curves. It's very difficult to draw a rounded thing in, in uh, SketchUp. Mm. You can draw a circle, a sphere, but to draw something that's not a concentric yes. curve, circular curve is a, is a little bit of a problem. So, but I've been working with it. So that's probably the first thing I'm going to try it and I'll see if it works or not. So now you're becoming accustomed to this technology and also potentially with Bernie's stuff in his chip that sounds amazing your layout could potentially change quite dramatically based on some of these elements right oh I, well I, I hope it's an improvement over the last so, one that's for sure so, uh, so it's yeah it's so far the uh, I've put a, if you look on the on the blog there's photos of it on my blog but the I've made a diligent effort to even make the you know, the initial bench work, I've painted the walls under the layout. I've tried right. to keep things as neat and clean as I can. I think we talked about that last time. Certainly, yeah. And uh, one thing I'm seriously contemplating is is backing the era up uh, a little bit. Everybody that does New England Railroads does the, you know, the 1950s. Mm. And they all, all those layouts start to take on a certain sameness Certainly. after a while. And I thought, well, maybe if I if I back it up a little bit, and what I'm finding is a lot of the photos, the prototype photos and things that I'm finding of really interesting buildings, mm -hmm. I then find out that the building burned down or was torn down in the 1920s or 30s. Oh, interesting. So, so how early would you go? Uh, probably back to the sometime around the 20s interesting. is when I'm starting to focus in on a little bit. Um, but you find there's... There's certain things that are that are limited there. The the number of vehicles you can get for the roads from the 20s are kind of limited, and uh, there's there's some other stuff. But I'm thinking that maybe some of this 3D printing technology, you know, alleviates those concerns and mm. certainly gives the, will give the layout a unique look and a uniqueness. But you know that that said, I may I may decide to wimp out and just stick with the 1950s. But mm. who knows? When I was in New Jersey, I saw a, a chassis layout from 1940. The owner's name, I think, was Stephen someone. He's very well known in the area. Beautiful, beautiful 1940s lap. And I began to appreciate, just surrounding me as I speak to you, Marty, uh, as you may know, I'm a fan of uh, military history, but the amount of stuff that I have on the Second World War, it really appealed to me. Just that era and the capturing of that era so wonderfully. 
Um, and he had a lot of like chessy related. I didn't even know that the cats were part of the, you know, promotional material. There was just so much oh, yeah. going on there. So no, I, I really appreciate where you're coming from. I think, uh, the 1950s. Well, as I recall, yeah. Peak was the other cat. Yes. Yeah. No, so that's Chessie, Chessie was the yeah, girl exactly. cat, the original cat. <laughs> this is this is now exceeding my knowledge of CNO cats. Yes. Yes. And Peak was the name of the, I believe, the other cat. Yes. And the Peak yes. joined the army yes. in in World War Two. He was seen in uniform pretty regularly. Most so definitely. Was, no, I was I was absolutely fascinated by that whole thing. It was just wonderful because I think I think you're exactly right. Wind the hobby back a little bit from the 1950s. And, I mean, the 1920s, obviously, you know, Franklin, South Manchester, I mean, there are, there are already layouts that cover this period, but let's not move the cliches. Let's go earlier. This sounds really fascinating, Marty. I'm interested in seeing how this will change your layout quite fundamentally. I mean, obviously, the locomotives and rolling stop, but just the feel of the layout has to be, you know, you have to really tune it to get that right. Is this your thinking? Yes. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I'm... You know, and, and I may, you know, I might stop at 1944. I'm not, I'm not sure what, you know, what was in Vermont in 1943 that, <laughs> that says World War Two. you know, other yes. than you put a couple of little plastic guys on the platform. But yes. the, uh, one of the reasons that Bernie and I decided to do the World War Two era on the modules was a chance to do some of that, you know, Certainly. those, those kind of little mini scenes and those little you yeah. know, indications, you know, posters on the, on the, you know, the train station platforms and all that kind of stuff. So, so the, yeah, yeah, so I'll, I'll see what it, I think it's going to mean a lot, you know, the roads will be dirt and not paved. I mean, it's that, that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking a look at it and seeing what the, uh, what the implications would be. And, and so far I, I like the idea. I, like I said, I haven't committed to it yet. I'd have to pretty much change out most of my rolling stock. Certainly. Uh, which is, you know, that's a chance to buy more trains, and who doesn't want a chance to buy more Without trains? Question. Without question. You know. <laughs> I've seen Dave Ramos's layout. He's he's bought more trains repeatedly and has amazing reviews associated with every single one of them. So yeah. No, I I I thoroughly appreciate where you're coming from here, Marty. And yes, this could be a very interesting direction. Now I don't want to talk time frames, I don't want to pressure you in other directions. But what's your anticipation with regards to doing stuff on your layout in the in the Less humid months, let's call it that. What what are your plans? Well, this is the first day that we've had in I don't know six months that it hasn't. We haven't had a, a hurricane or a, a torrential rain or anything else. It's actually a beautiful day, and it's in the fifties today. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually I've been spending some time this morning cleaning the garage. Wonderful. But the um, my goal at this point, and and these are not like work goals, so mm-hmm. it's not something that you know, if the deadline is missed, who so, cares, right? Yeah. Uh, my goal is to be able to run train, run a train around basically the mainline circuit by the end of the year. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I think we're pretty close. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, most of the, the infrastructure is, is done. I was down there earlier this morning. I went down there and did a couple of video clips to, to post another video layout update mm-hmm. and, uh, and try to do that. I've been, I'm going to try to get a little more consistent about that. I think I did one and I did it back in July or something when we were just painting the room. And then I realized, Oh my God, it's, it's October. And I really haven't done anything down here in two months. This is one thing after another, like I said, but uh, I've, you know, got a couple of free weekends coming up. So I'm going to try to do something with it. Most definitely. Most definitely. 
Marty, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. I, as I'm saying this, I realise that the dream is to have an hour of Bertie Kapinski's time to talk about military history with him. And I'm definitely going to have to slate that next time I'm in your part of the world. But as I said, Michelle had a wonderful time. She wants to take her family back there to tour a number of the sites. And I think certainly there's an opportunity to head back to your part of the world sometime oh, in the sure. next couple of years. So I'm looking forward to having slightly more quality time with both you and Bernie. Uh, yeah, sure. Bernie, come by. Bernie come by was... anytime, Tom. The door is always open. <laughs> Very good. I'll bring peanut butter, definitely. Um, but <laughs> the thing is, Bernie was at the uh, Bernie was at the NER as well, and I didn't get to see him. I mean, that's the nature of these shows: is that sometimes you just don't get. I kind of thought it was him in a car park, and I kind of ran up to the gentleman and realised it wasn't him. And I don't think it was his twin or anything like that. It just looked at the distance. He had certain Bernie he, Kapinski. He has one. So I know, no, I know he does. I know he does. That's why I made it. It could have been Rob, but I doubt Rob would have been at the NER. So, anyway. so, yeah, I missed catching up with him at the NER, but it would be wonderful to have focused time with you both just to, to shoot the breeze because certainly Bernie's one of these folks on Facebook where, having been Facebook friends with him, and we've had a few interchanges associated with certain aspects of military history, even modern military history. He is a gentleman, much the same as yourself, that I'm very pleased to know um, through doing Model Royal Radio. Uh, but yeah, just such a polymath. The opportunity to talk with him about things other than trains would be a real luxury as well. So always a pleasure catching up with you, Marty. Do it. Go with the 1920s. That's that's my advice. Well, let's, let's, we'll, we'll see. We'll see Very what happens. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to be a bad influence friend in this circumstance and uh, just pepper any future calls with regards to the possibilities. So please keep that in mind. Thanks for talking. Enjoyed it. Take care. to welcome back on another gentleman who I had the opportunity to catch up with recently, only briefly, only over barbecue, but it's always a pleasure to have the chance to chat with Dave Barraza. Dave, what is going on with the hobby in your part of the world? Um, a lot of stuff. My parents are coming out in a couple days, and mm. I want to run trains in view of my father, since well, this is all his fault to begin with. Very good. Personal <laughs> um, responsibility is important. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, it's not, it's one step beyond, you know, th look what you did, but like, it's, how about let's enjoy what you did. Exactly, yes. <laughs> um, I've been uh, least significant. We're taking steps to get the washer and dryer out of the layout mm, space so that important. it can get connected together. Yes. I need, uh, I didn't, I committed to do Island Ops 2020, not 2019. Wow. So the layout's currently in two pieces, um, not connected. Uh, so moving the dryer is a way to uh, keep them. the household authority happy. Yes, always important. And uh, also, you know, get more running space. Uh -huh. uh, Mawa was very inspiring. It's always good to see layouts because I come back from stuff like that with uh, new vigor in oh terms of goodness. getting projects done in the basement. Yeah. Um, what, I, did you get to Andy? Did you see in my I, I saw Andy Rubo's layout, which <laughs> I've seen pictures of. It was in Great Model Railroads, but um, just to take my glasses off and stare at his details yes. at you know at twenty five millimeters, it, it, it's it's amazing the work that he's done, yeah. and uh, it, and he doesn't. You know, he he built a HO scale A10s, which machine replica, I'm sorry, mm. A5, and mm. it was completely accurate. And he didn't really do anything extraordinary. He just layered together pieces of styrene. So that tells me that stuff like that is achievable. There's no Without magic question. to it. Yeah, no, you just need amazing skills. 
Nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, that would help. <laughs> I, I, I do not have the dexterity to assemble HO scale position light signals that I bought on mm. uh, position light dwarf signals that I mm-hmm. bought on uh, uh, Shapeways. So uh, I'm going to have to, uh, I don't know, lay off some coffee or somehow develop a, a steadier hand. Mm. <laughs> to I, I think you can restrain. Things. You can restrain your hand. It's it's actually finding. Positions where you hold your hand, where the movement is far more constrained by how you hold your hand. That seems to be the technique. Yeah, I'd like to see a video of one of your model painters at work. Oh, my goodness. Because that obviously takes an incredibly steady hand. Well, some of them actually... I I met, through this trip, actually, uh, to uh, New Jersey, I met a couple who I've done commission work for. And when I was in D.C., I met another fellow who was actually over from Germany, who I've uh, done commission work for with whatever the term is i pay them the money to paint let's put it that way anyway (laughs) they look the the breadth and depth of possibilities i mean the guy from germany initially lays colors on with his fingers and then works back from there now obviously you think well it's not finger painting well it's not finger painting here i mean to say he lays it on with his fingers is that he has very particular techniques associated with applying color like that but (laughs) there are so many different uh methods and so many different interesting but yeah i actually one of the joys that i had with regards to both trips to dc and to new jersey was to spend some quality time with miniature painters as well because i think they're from my perspective there is just as much part of the hobby or the part of the future of the hobby more than anything uh but yeah look many of them are moving away from doing any kind of video work there's a huge amount i might not have told this story on model radio but i'll tell it now when I turned 40, and this is actually my 42nd birthday weekend, which is one of the reasons I'm recording a bunch of eclectic podcasts, because I actually like doing this thing. It's actually my hobby, you know. Anyway, um, when I turned 40, my wife painted five uh, spacehawks, and she did it without telling me. She went on YouTube and found a wide variety of painters on YouTube and basically pulled the paints out while I wasn't around and painted and then hid the paints and did a bunch of things. So they're beautifully painted. So the skill level that's shown just on YouTube is enough for people to get amazing results with regards to miniature painting. Um, So certainly if you're interested, I would check out YouTube. But the people that I employ are like a lifetime beyond that kind of stuff. And they all have their own crazy techniques. Very few of them are willing to document them. But you do get a sense when you actually hold the figures that this is tens of hours of work of just amazing work. So, yeah. I wonder if rubbing the paint on the first layer of paint on with your fingers doesn't give you some kind of a tactile memory I think of just what important. it is that you're painting. And I think that's particularly important with the level of detail. I mean, many of these miniatures are created by people who are very, very, very strange people. They really are. They're <laughs> like, they're not like humans. I mean, the people who create some of these miniatures are, I've corresponded with a few of them. I realized that I should only correspond with painters. I shouldn't actually correspond with miniature sculptures because miniature sculptures are just at a completely different level. And when you look at these (laughs) figures, particularly the fantasy science fiction ones, they have like 50 elements of detail on them, be it just like a belt strap or, um, you know, something hanging from the belt or, uh, you know, the, the level of... So, yes, the tactile element is important just because you have to map out this highly complex thing in space in some way so i often i mean the thing that i love about receiving these miniatures back is you find detail that you never knew actually existed in the figure so they have observed it to such a level that they've like you know belt buckles 
um, you know, a finger perhaps attached on a string or something <laughs> like this. I mean, it really is extraordinary the level of detail that these people pick out from the figures, and that, I think, is part of the skill. So, yes, we're talking too much about miniature painting and not enough about the whole thing. <laughs> One other milestone was reached mm-hmm. those, uh, recently, those two interlockings that I had mm-hmm. begun, I think, in the middle of the summer with the fitting out, kitting out, are now fully operational, throwing switches with LCC mm. and touchscreen control panels. I'll be able to demonstrate that as well. Wonderful. Um, and uh, I've got a couple position light signals tested, and I so at least I know the basic logical chunks that need to go in to make uh, a signal light using LCC. Um, so once I figure out how to assemble them, at least I, I've already figured out how to drive them electronically. Mm. And uh, so that's that's fun. It's fun to be able to stand there with my phone in my hand and uh, make switch machines buzz and mm-hmm. switch machines. That's buzz. important, right? You've got to get yeah. the relay experience, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, there's also been many relays connected and collected very and good. sent in the mail as well. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Hats off to the Merg guys. They were very ahead of the curve when it comes to the CAN bus. They mm. did it first before the NMRI, NMRI even knew what it was. Mm. So respect is given. Very good. Yeah, that's interesting, the kind of Glaswegian uh, aspect to this thing, because, yeah, I, Canvas is such a cure. I've dealt with it professionally, and having dealt with it professionally, I mean, I guess, like everything in this hobby, there are certain folks that like have certain sadistic elements in their personalities, and they like playing with these <laughs> things. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting, because certainly when I came in front of the national board nine years ago now, um, and they mentioned Canvas, and I had probably then just left the company that worked on that I worked on Canvas for periodically. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. This is like a serious hobby that people want to do, and you're trying to thrust Canvas on them? So, yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting experience in that light. But, yeah, I think for the right kind of people, and if you deal with it technically, um, professionally, you probably have too intimate an insight in certain aspects of it. So it's probably more fun uh, as you do, although you do signaling, professionally as well but i mean you have a lot of fun with it in your hobby part too so interesting yeah yeah let's let's explore the space that is left by the washer dryer let's return to more practical things in terms of that space is it just a matter of initially connecting track or is there stuff that's going to be going in that space that you already have a pretty good understanding of what will be there i have a good understanding and if I'd wanted to, I could have slid the washer dryer out eight mm-hmm. inches and made a connection, a connecting course, track, put it together now. But I yeah. figured if I did that, it's going to be years before they come out. Exactly. Right? And the, the third deck will just be like bolted to the top of them. And, the, yeah. you know, so I, I, it's better to have them out. And I have a very clear vision of it. it there, There is a 24 foot space that will have uh, a station and a uh, um what's called a high-speed interlocking. In in Mm. other words, switches that uh, have such a high uh, frog angle that they allow the trains in real life to go over them at 60 miles an hour for the turning move. Mm. And uh, there's a legend that Tim Warris will make you a a fast-tracks rig for whatever angle you specify. Yeah. And he's he's so far made the ones that have come that people have asked for. So... You know, I would love to. I, I'm gonna, you know, work up the nerve to <laughs> order, you know, a, you know, a number thirty-two point five with a movable point frog yeah. because I have twenty-four feet to have a couple crossovers. I'll let you in on a little it's, secret, Dave. Okay, I've I've bought the gentleman sushi on at least one occasion. 
<laughs> I, I have some karma points. If you need to throw extra karma, just re- remind him <laughs> of the free sushi he had in, uh, I think it was probably San Jose. I think it was San Jose. I don't think we went north of San Jose. But yeah, so certainly Tim Worth's, uh has a few uh, a few debts to pay with regards to me. Sushi so, will be invoked. Very good. <laughs> I will play the sushi card. Very good. <laughs> so that's my vision. It's going to be one very long interlocking, mm-hmm. and it should. It's one of those things where when you look at the, the switches of that construction, it's going to say, oh, I, I must be at Queen's interlocking because there's the super, super certainly. long turn. Yeah, certainly. So uh, it's kind of a way to draw you into the, the place in the area that you're at. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's the plan. Very good. Always a pleasure catching up with you, Dave Perez. Are you yeah, going to be in this part of the world anytime in the foreseeable future? Now you folks are going over to your part of the world, so I'm assuming. Yeah, maybe when it's nice and warm. Huh. Good to know. Good to know. Yes. Well, always a pleasure catching up. Wonderful yeah, to, to catch up over barbecue and talk about the finer points of bread and butter pudding, a topic that I have far <laughs> too much to say about. So Barbecue is a very genteel way for a large group of people to catch up in any circumstance. Without question. It has to be sticky. I've, I've come to the realization <laughs> that it has to be sticky barbecue. It needs to be stuff where people are picking their teeth while they're talking. I think there are a variety of things that need to occur. But, yeah, sticky barbecue has certainly been the uh, definition of model rail radio get-togethers, and I think, aside from sushi, but that's a very particular get-together. I liked the Australian concept of a mandatory table hopping. Yes. I got to hear all about Michelle's adventure in Washington, D.C., and I don't think I otherwise <laughs> would have gotten a chance to talk to her. So that, question. it's a good protocol as well. Yeah. Now, it's still under debate whether it's an Australian protocol or whether it's just me, but let's just say, let's call it Australian for the time being, and maybe our Australian listeners will have something to say. Australian rules barbecue. Very good. <laughs> Always a pleasure catching up, Dave. Looking forward to seeing what you do with the washer-dryer space. So please I'll take four pictures. Most yes. definitely. Most definitely. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, Tom. Bye. to welcome back on Mike Tony. Mike, not model rail radio related, but my wife discovered and then pointed me in the direction of the fact that your son has done some amazing stuff. And I've known uh, you for yeah. about three, four years personally. I mean, you came to show 100. But I found it absolutely fascinating to hear about your son in terms of both his interaction with you and then obviously his broader interaction with the wider world. So when Michelle found this and pointed it out to me, I had a, a great degree of interest in terms of uh, that component of your life. So it's always wonderful to discover things about what uh, participants in Model Railroad. Right? Yes, I mean, I won't say that he's the smartest kid in the world. I'd say he's more like, you'd say, number two, number three, something like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, proud parenting aside, there's documented yes. evidence of this case. So I always say it's interesting because when, when you spend time in our part of the world, obviously you let Wigsy out of the cage. That's what you're most famous for, but it's interesting. Yes, should... Sorry, continue. Yeah, uh, Wigsy, um, I don't know if you realize that when Wiggles got out of the cage, it was one of the young ladies there impersonated your wife. Uh. She said, well, yeah, I'm Tom's wife, so you can take him out. So, uh, uh-huh. so Good, that's a great story, and I've not heard that version up until now, so that's very important. Very good. But I still love, I still love Wiggles. How is he doing? He's doing exceptionally well. He's had eye problems recently, but we've been giving him drops and uh, medicine, good, good, and the good, eyes have good. gone from cloudy to clear, and, you know, he, he's an amazing... He's lived for such a length of time, 
And he's still yeah. in there fighting, and you wouldn't think that he was an old cat most of the time. So, yes. Anyway. Right, yeah. Well, Wiggle's my favorite. Anyway, yes. yeah, uh, with my son. A lot of the stuff he is doing that's remarkable is, like, incredibly under the radar because of his mathematical abilities and mm. his musical abilities. So um, he, uh, he, he won the Spelling Bee, and he won the um, International Science Fair. And uh, sometime I will tell you a, a little story about the International Science Fair, which is, you, being a World War II historian, you'll get a kick out of. Mm-hmm. But these are more famous things that the public sees. He's... Uh, He's won a number of awards in the world of mathematics. He's mm-hmm. been on the International Math Olympiad team four times, has two gold and two silver medals. Mm. Um, he uh, he uh, actually won a medal called the Clay Medal, which is a uh, – the Clay Institute is a, a fund that encourages mathematics. Mm-hmm. Um, he is he – is, uh, right now he is a uh, grad student at Princeton yes. uh, working on his Ph.D. in mathematics – he um he is in this gray area between student and practicing mathematician because he's an excellent teacher and an excellent writer. Mm. And he, even though he's writing, quote, um, grad student mathematics, it gets published in a lot of mathematical journals because it is so well written. Certainly. So he, Anyone so he, can publish in these journals, too. I mean, I, I've written academically and I have no yeah. academic background. It's amazing how easy – well, I wouldn't say it's amazing how easy, but it's amazing – if you have the scholarship, they don't care about the qualification. Well, I mean, it's like an MRA contest. Yeah. You go in and you judge the model. You don't know whether the guy who made the model is a model maker for the Smithsonian or, exactly. you know, he drives a coal truck. You know, exactly. It could be anything. Yep. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's having a great time. He is um, in the world of academia. It is kind of a um, – it's a fuzzy world. You kind of have to do a certain number of years to get a Ph.D., mm-hmm. But there's some some merit in hanging around, you know, not only formally on what's called a postdoctoral fellowship, mm-hmm. but even, even informally is kind of like a uh, like a, a lecturer or a uh, mm-hmm. some kind of, a, you know, proctor for, you know, for um, study groups. So he's kind of debating on what to do because Princeton is such a uh, Princeton is such a wonderful place to yeah, do mathematics. Great place to hang out. It's an incredibly beautiful state. Certainly. And um, um and there's a lot of model railroading going on there, as mm. we all know. Yeah, so, certainly. So I, uh, I will lament the time when I can no longer go back and visit because um, it's like a perfect excuse to go back. And uh, um, I uh, have a, a number of kind of family-related trips I have to do mm-hmm. in the fairly near term. But um, once those are passed, I'll be getting back up into that New Jersey area, like Island Ops mm-hmm. and like uh, a Boston Rail Run. And the uh, the prototype meet and the um, the northeast region tends to have really good uh, regional conventions. They do move around, but not always in New mm-hmm. Jersey. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, uh, certainly. So, so anyway, so yeah, my son has done very well, mm. and I get back to I get back to see him, and uh, it's a uh, um, it's a pleasure having him. He is a, a an incredibly accomplished certainly um, student. So uh, uh, he I basically. Did not want him to work through college. I worked my way through college. Mm-hmm. I did not want him to have to. And I, so I, I uh, saved up tons of money. And lo and behold, he gets a full ride. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and uh, so I got, I got a lot of hobby money. Mm-hmm. So uh, It is interesting. I mean, certainly a number of my peers were maths Olympians and uh, the chemistry I, yeah. Olympics and this kind of stuff. It, it's very interesting the way gifted 
students can move internationally associated with their particular passions. And I lament actually the folks that I knew who were math Olympians, how few of them stayed in mathematics. They moved into economics, they did a bunch of other things. So, I mean, hats off to your son for uh, for keeping that pure as well, because the, the real world, the, the financial gains that could be had in doing things with mathematics yes. outside of mathematics is very, very right. real, be it cryptographics, a wide variety of different areas, but more applied things with mathematics. So it hats off to what your son is doing currently. And it was a real pleasure to actually discover this about you, like I said, having, because I think what is lost here, and I've, I've seen a documentary recently called The Three Identical Strangers, which is about the uh, three uh, triplets that were separated at birth, talking about the nurture part of creating, you know, well-rounded, you know, intellectual human beings. And I think the, the parenting of folks such as your son is as much an interesting thing as is the, you know, the creation of, of you know, brilliant individuals such as your son. So I was a- fascinated at some future time. I'm interested in perhaps off mobile radio. I'm interested in talking to you about that because I think that's a really interesting. I mean, I do simulated biology, so I have some interest in nature versus nurture and a wide variety of things, but always interesting to talk about these things and to discover this as I have recently with you. So thank you for being so modest as well, because, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more probing that could be done here. But let's talk about the hobby of model railroading. My recollection is that you had joined a module club. You had built a couple of modules. You're working on some additional modules. What's been going on with your model railroading hobby? Okay, yes, I um, have been doing some work on some modules. Uh, I, uh, I, I volunteered to do the switch lists. In other words, when we set up the modules, you have a, we have a computer program, a very simple uh, it's kind of a spreadsheet driven by a visual basic program, and you essentially type in the layout. In other words, when the model, the modules can be assembled any way, any different way. So you, you essentially uh, type it in in the right order. And then once you have it in the right order, you just sort of click on a button, and the button will automatically burp out a switch list. So mm. a person will take a train from the yard to a couple of modules and switch all those industries. And there's some... There's an art to it because if you're the guy clicking the button, you can click the button once and you'll get like eight boxcars <laughs> going to one industry. And you say, that that sucks. So yes. I, uh, I will click it again and then get an even mix of, um, of just four industries. I like mm-hmm. to have at least three of them get a car. And uh, so that when you, know, you take your train out, you don't just take your train of eight cars out and switch one industry and come back in five minutes. You, you're out there stuck with this, you know. Leading point, trailing point switches, one car runarounds, things like that. So it's really a uh, uh, so I so I do that. And now one day I was putting together the switch lists, and I had one side of the layout. It would create two really good trains, or I could make three trains where two of them were okay and one of them was really crummy. So I actually walked out to the layout and said. You know, if I had a sawzall and some glue and some kits, how could I put some more industries? And I had this corner that curved around because, you know, you can't fit the, you know, sooner or later you got to curve your modules, you know, to, to fit them in the room. You know, you got to wrap around. So there's this club-owned corner and it had nothing on it. And I said, can I put something here? And they said, tell you what, even better. This is a really nicely scenic module, but we have one just like it that the scenery stinks. So why don't you cut that one up and put some industries on it? So they gave it to me and said, here's the catch. Your industries have to be, you know, three inches thick. Mm. And they, they can only be 
a half inch above the layout of the track, you know, in other words, mm. so you can go down, but you can't go up. So I said, okay, how about a clay pit? And they said, perfect. Wonderful. So I, uh, so I rigged up a clay pit and a, uh, a couple of other industries that are basically these, have you ever seen these kind of iron fabricating shops and machine shops? And really all they really are is a small house mm-hmm. to get out of the rain and lock up the tools. Mm-hmm. And it's just a big field with some, Four by fours and some iron lying, lying around, people mm-hmm. welding the stuff up. You know, it's just that's what they no, did. That was their job. That was yeah. their company. So yes, I know. Yeah, it so, works. so I have a little, I have a little ironworks there. So <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm going to call it Tom's Tom's Ironworks. Ooh, and, uh, very nice. And uh, and uh, and it'll be just a, a small, a small, you know, house or ha- uh, cabin, and uh, um, with the time card to punch a clock. And then you mm-hmm. get out in the yard and you're out in the sun building up, you know, a little bridge bridge girders and Certainly. you know uh structures you know simple simple fabricating just just mm-hmm. something that's something that is you know essentially four scale feet high mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it that, yeah. that's all i have and i can and i can go down yeah mainlaws so. did external staircasing they did a wide right, yeah, variety yeah. of stuff and i mean obviously there's internal stuff that you do prior to cementing too but yeah it's yeah, a like fascinating that. industry because the, <clears throat> You've been very uh, conservative. The excess of scrap iron that these industries have—it's—it's it's very rarely just a little bit of scrap iron. The actual scrap right. iron. My wife grew up piercing her feet and various other things with bits of scrap <laughs> iron. They always had dogs. Yeah. They always had jogs in these environments as well. So, if you're interested in uh, prototypical feedback, I can certainly provide you prototypical I, I, feedback for this particular. I, I, I hear you. I've seen these things. I went to a college that um, consisted of down along the old. New York Central B&M Railroad mm. tracks consisted of yards where people would rent a building, uh, an old industrial site, and just scrap a, scrap a passenger car, mm. take it, and, and immediately smash all the wood off and burn it in a bonfire, yep, and, and then just cut up the uh, – uh, all, all the steel mills wanted their scrap in like you know, 12 by 12 chunks or smaller, yep. and then they would, just, they would just cut them up. And then once a month, a guy came out with a crane and a gun and would pick it up and load up the gun and – yeah. Weigh it, and that's how you made money. But these literally, they, they they didn't even have offices. They would have like a minivan and live out of the minivan. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it was like four of them. So, yeah. so anyway, that's that's my modeling is making the little corner, and I'll put pictures of the corner on the uh, model rail radio, and uh, so you can see what it's see how it's progressing. And yeah. uh, so that's kind of my big thing. Uh, the other thing is that we have a um, we have a contest at uh, the NMRA Coast Division. And it's a one foot square model. Mm-hmm. You have 144 square inches, 12 by 12. And you make anything you want. And what I'm making is an adapter to adapt the Sacramento modules, which are kind of standard. They're standard two foot by four foot modules. There's nothing, mm. you know, very common. A lot of module clubs have the same standard. Adapting one of those to a European module, which is a little more complex in that it's, it doesn't have a rectangular profile. It has kind of a, a profile in the end that kind of, it's kind of like a, it's like, it's almost like a ski resort where you have a flat spot, then a slope, then a flat mm-hmm. spot, then mm-hmm. a slope. Yep. But it's, it, it kind of, you know, if you go to the European, the ETE website, you'll see how the, the modules are profiled to, uh, to look a little less like a flat, you know, plywood Pacific. And, uh, so it, just a means of adapting, uh, essentially flat, ordinary, standard North American modules to European modules just for the sake of having having a module set up of maybe 30 or 50 modules in a hallway at a convention where you can sit there and you can learn operating where you you get a train you have a coach you go out and you've never operated before 
and you have a little section of track, a little town, and you have eight cars, and you got to switch them, and there's no one to bother you. You got all mm. the time in the so when you get done, you call the dispatcher and say, "When can I come back in?" And they said, "Dispatcher will say, uh, wait a minute for the passenger train to pass, and you can follow him into the yard.' Mm-hmm. You know, just a a real low stress, um, positive environment to to learn operating. Wonderful. And then uh, you saw, did you see the Operations Roadshow? Have you seen that? I, I saw um, it when in its first incarnation in Grand Rapids, or I don't want to say right. its first incarnation, but I saw it in Grand Rapids. Yes. Yeah. Um, something like that is when you do TT and TO. What you need is a lot of space between towns. Without question, because, yeah. Without because you're running along right down your orders and your train's trotting along, and you know you your train is running on a fast clock, but you can only write it one to one time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, so by having huge modular layouts, you can have lots of space between towns. Mm-hmm. So, if you have a long, linear, fifty foot long module setup, you get the space to do TT and TO, and again in a training environment because you. You know, you're going to be going through towns. You're just going to ignore. You're going to say, well, okay, for all practical purposes, we're just using this module as a piece of straight track. And the other, you know, the other mainline track and all the buildings and industries, we're not going to touch, you know, um, you're not going to see them. They just, just think of this as a, you know, a, a piece of, you know, Nebraska prairie. And, Mm. uh, so, so anyway, that's, that's kind of the, the vision of having a means of connecting, uh, two styles of modules because really, all you want to do is is mechanically connect the track, mm. and uh, electrically it's pretty straightforward. So, Wonderful. so anyway, um, hey, questions for you. Two mm-hmm. questions. Bernie Kempinski mm-hmm. wrote a book on modules for Kambach, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he was doing it more for modules for like you know exhibits and museums rather than for clubs and homes. But um, that's something you may want to bring up next time is is how Bernie's modules are uh, being used and. Uh, it's interesting, actually. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, to have limited time with Bernie Kapinski is really very difficult. I think he's only ever maybe he's only ever called into Model Rail Radio once. I think so. Yeah, I well, have a number of. I have look. Believe me, I've, and I've actually contributed a layout to Bernie Kapinski for a, an upcoming pub, uh, publication. So I have a number of questions for Bernie associated with this kind of yeah. stuff. So yeah, um, most definitely. Second question. Second question. All the British guys calling in today. The British mm-hmm. gentleman from. England from Kent and from Glasgow, yes, yes, Glasgow, and uh, there's a there's an outfit called Missenden Abbey. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, if you Google Missenden Abbey and then do model rail ra- model railroads, mm-hmm. they do like a a five day clinic twice a year. They do one in the spring and one in the fall. So you just show up and for five days you live there mm. and you do model railroad. You build locomotives, you know, mm-hmm. British style, and you mm-hmm. do you know DCC, and it's just like five or six tracks. And uh, it'd be nice to have somebody on who's actually done that, see how it worked out. Mm. And uh, sounds like an awesome experience to basically roll out of bed at 6 a.m. and, yeah, uh, believe you know, me. and start Immersive. modeling and then yep. go to bed at midnight. And uh, I mean, you're in, you're in this abbey, which is converted to a, uh, um, it's kind of like a, like a retreat center, mm. if you know what I mean. Simon Hill has and, some inside information. Let's bring, Simon Hill, do you have audio? Can you bring your audio up? Yes, yeah, still here, Tom. Introduce your knowledge of this particular thing. I've got a friend who does the uh, loco building clinics here in Seven Mill. Uh, he's been doing it for about three or four years now, and uh, yeah, it's very good. Very good. Very good. I'm going to do it one of these these years. So I'm going to go over. Is it something anyone that, can attend? You just you sign have, up. You have, you have to book up. Uh, they mm-hmm. do get uh, quite good uh, response for it, and they've done a lot more new things. They do 3D printing now. They do CAD drawing. Gosh. 
they do uh, Merg, um, Digitrax type uh, control systems. So there's a whole cross spectrum and a whole hobby in there now. I, I've not attended one myself, but I'm, I'm told they are good. Another friend who's done one, said, yeah, it's a good, it's a good crack, and uh, there's a, good, a lot of uh, good evening spent in the bar. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, you're, you're right there. You can take your cold one into the uh, modeling room and you don't have to worry about driving home. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, Simon. Always important to have local knowledge. On the record. Uh, anyway, that, was, that was my one, my two questions for today were the uh, Missing the Navi and, and Bernie's, Bernie's and modules. Marty actually responded associated with Bernie's modules. Apparently, let me see if I can actually find the text that he typed. That's always good. Bernie is working on a book on modules. Hasn't yet been published. A couple of modules here in DC in the late 1940s sounds wonderful. I mean, the projects Bernie just hasn't made public yet are a topic in and of themselves, I think, associated with the amount of stuff that gentleman is doing in the hobby. And now retired, let us point out as well. Yeah, I think of, I think of Bernie as the Tupolev Design Bureau of Model Railroading. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mike Adorni, always a pleasure catching up. I'm going to have to call this one a little bit short. Well, not really a little bit short. We've gone a little over time, but... Uh, I have a very busy day planned. This uh, weekend is my birthday weekend. I've got to catch up with a bunch of family and run a bunch of errands and even eat some delectable meals for this period. So a lot to do. Always a pleasure catching up with you, Alan Mike. And, yeah, look, we cohabit occasionally the same areas. Um, so oh, yeah. I'm sure we've got a lot of opportunity to have a, a catch-up chat at some stage as well because, yeah, I'm fascinated to hear more about uh, your son's experience and also your parenting experience with your son because I think that's something which uh, is, there seems to be a new movement associated with actually understanding parenting of very particular gifted folk and I think that's something that always fascinates me having observed it from my I wasn't gifted in I mean I did I was in the chemistry Olympic team but not well, just because I could fake titering, titration to a particular... I was not the gifted part of that. However, I had a number of gifted friends going up, and the experience of being surrounded by peers who were just... I mean, when I was about five, my friend pointed out that the hose made a parabola. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. just like, hmm, interesting, you know, for a five-year-old to come up with this thing. So, yeah, I had a number of friends that were just absolute, like, child broke standardized testing and a wide variety of other things. And to gr grow up in that peer group, forced me to do a wide variety of things outside what I would normally do. But I've well, always you know, it. yeah, continue. Well, Sorry. The last Raz works on the uh, LCC. You know him? I know the name. I don't know him personally. Yeah, you know you know who he is, the yes. last Raz. Yes. The last Raz went to the Math Olympiad also, so mm -hmm. he uh, he has that experience. And he's around, so. Cool, cool. Mike, but, always, talk a to you later. always a pleasure chatting, Mike. Another amazing Model Rail Radio, ladies and gentlemen. We are seven years since we started using Skype. I know seven years for a fact because my birthday weekend is also the first week that I was here in the Bay Area, and that's when we started using Skype for Model Rail Radio. Seven years ago, folks, we started using Skype, and it has dramatically changed, and I would hope improved certain aspects of Model Rail Radio, but I do remember very clearly what I was doing about seven years ago. So thanks to the folks for calling in today. Always a pleasure catching up with uh, with folks uh, in the Kent area. Just a powerhouse of model railroading. A pleasure also having a chance to chat with uh, Craig Lennox. And I, it's one of these things where when I record the show, I only pick up about half the information. Going back and re-listening to the show, 
I think I'm going to get way more information through some of this. So looking forward to giving it a re-listen as well. Thanks to everyone for participating today. Thanks for folks for listening in. Good. Well, it's still morning here, so I'm going to say good morning. Good night, Tom. Happy birthday, Tom.